0: The
1: Blast From Our Past Network. Hello and welcome to The Blast From Our Past Podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we've really got a San Francisco treat for you. We are doing... (laughs) A family, uh, San Francisco family episode, if you will, we are breaking down the 1993 film Mrs. Doubtfire, which we are also going to be recasting down uh, uh, later in the episode, and we are going to be doing a review of the late 80s, early 90s sitcom Full House, which When we decided to do this episode, I actually had—I completely forgot that Mrs. Doubtfire was set in San Francisco. Uh (laughs) And so, when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh shit! (laughs) Both of these movies are in San Francisco. How perfect! This is a
0: wonderful little uh, like—it's like it's like we planned this." For some reason, I had completely forgotten until you said so just now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and you just
0: watched the movie. I
1: did, a- and and actually a fairly interesting fact: uh, the exteriors of the exterior of the main house in Mrs. Doubtfire, and of course the famous exteriors of uh, like the row of houses for Full House, are literally only a mile apart from each other oh. in San Francisco on the same street. Ah, uh, Steiner Street. Yes, yeah, Steiner Street. Just a down the road from each other. It's that's kind of crazy.
0: Wow. Well, I'll have to make a pilgrimage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Get some uh, fantastic 90s show and movie exteriors and, you know, you'll be you'll be the king of Instagram, John. I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So that's what we've got on the docket today. Very excited about it. John, 1993. That's got to be a cool year. What else happened there?
0: Yeah, so the movie came out on November 24th, 1993. The Billboard Hot 100 single of that week, you're going to love this. It was I'd Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That by Meatloaf. And I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, I won't.
1: Oh, God, yes. Yes! Meatloaf! Love me some meatloaf. I'm so glad that we get to play that on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> because I would do anything for love, but I won't do that.
0: What won't he do, John? Uh, apparently it's pegging.
1: <laughs> is that really what you're thinking, or is that just your own... I've thoughts? heard that that's actually the truth. Oh, That sounds about right. I probably wouldn't do that either. Agreed. (laughs) Okay,
0: awkwardly moving on. (laughs) You asked the question, I gave you an answer. All right. Uh, All right, Uh, also in 1993, well-known comedian Chevy Chase uh, had his own late-night show in 1993, uh, which only lasted five weeks. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember that one bit. I remember it, and it was god-awful.
1: Yeah, Chevy Chase, he's hit or miss with some of the things that he does. And yeah, I could see him just, yeah, tanking on some of that. Sometimes his humor, he's sometimes I've heard he's a real dick at you know, like in, in most really most real life, so that'd be kinda hard to to do a talk show with him.
0: Uh, if you listen to one of our baseball episodes, you'll know that one of my favorite pitchers of all time was a pitcher named Jim Abbott. And in nineteen ninety three Jim Abbott threw a no hitter.
1: Wow, well, I didn't know it and you might have mentioned this before, but I d I didn't know that he threw a no hitter. That's I mean, that's fucking incredible. I mean, one, it's great for any pitcher to throw a no hitter. Right. You know, that's not easy. I mean, but he was I mean, he's, he's an inspirational dude. Really, yeah. really like Jim Abbott. Uh,
0: if you don't know who Jim Abbott is, he was a pitcher in the 90s, mostly with the Angels, but uh, bounced around towards the end uh, of his career with the Yankees and a few other ones. Um, he was actually born without a right hand. He would hold the glove on his kind of right hand, or where his right hand would be, and he would throw with his left hand and then scoop his hand into the glove so you would catch and throw with the same hand. Super inspiring guy. Uh, he was a great baseball player i really enjoyed him also in 1993 so adam total internet traffic in 1993 amounted to 100 terabytes for the year Ooh, as compared to uh yeah today a note i note that i have that is in 2008 100 terabytes in 2008 was used every second (laughs) jesus christ (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay yeah that's quite
0: the difference and that was 11 years ago so who god, god knows what it is now
1: yeah yeah of course it
0: was 2008 oh man we're always hooked in <laughs> uh all right that was some 1993 facts
1: all right well before we get in the movie john guess what we do not have another review on itunes what the fuck people <laughs> I'm just trying to say, come on, help us out. Help a, help a brother and a brother out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we would love it if you guys review us on, well, it's not iTunes anymore.
0: Apple Podcasts.
1: Yes. Uh, review us on on that or wherever. Uh, you know, please, it helps spread the word. Uh, and we love to see the reviews. So please. And it also helps us with feedback so we can help make a better product for y'all. So anyway, just, just a shout out for y'all.
0: You know what Adam, we may not have another review, but you know what we do have? What do we have? A patron. We do. We got a patron? An entire patron? An entire patron. Oh hell yeah. We got a new patron at the Golden Girl level. Another Golden Girl? We've already had one Golden Girl. I if we can get a sec if we can get four
1: Golden Girls, that'd be fucking killer.
0: <laughs> We'd have to give them nicknames. Mom can be Blanche.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> She's such a Blanche. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, so Ken Johnson joined us at the uh, Golden Girl level. Ken Johnson uh, will uh, eventually get a chance to actually be on the show with us.
1: Fantastic! Thank you, Ken. I'm excited to see what content you want to talk about with us. It'll be that'll be fun. We will break down and review whatever the hell you want. I, you can basically say what I'll say whatever
0: you want me to say, man. <laughs> Uh, one of the reasons why I, uh, we kind of included this tier on the Patreon uh, was because I especially, especially when we have guests, I love it when our guests pick what it is we're going to do, because a lot of times they pick something that maybe Adam and I would have never picked because it wasn't mm-hmm. something we watched. Uh, for example, the first time we had Cory on and he picked Monster Squad, that was nothing that was ever going to be on our list because neither of us had yeah. watched it.
1: Yeah, so- which, was, which was a lot of fun, like, you know, breaking that down. One, we had, you know, someone else who it's their nostalgia so we can kind of, you know, they're defending it to the max because it's their <laughs> nostalgia, where John and I are kind of the ones, as opposed to, you know, we're kind of Attacking each other, that that one we kind of like either could team up together and be like, "What the fuck is this shit?" Right. <laughs> and but in general, it is just kind of fun seeing stuff that is backdated that we've that we missed when right. we were kids. So well,
0: and you got to remember, we're all about nostalgia doesn't necessarily have to be our nostalgia. For example, we had a show with our dad on and we did a show about his nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So if you're worrying that maybe you want to support, but the movies of your time was maybe a little before the 90s or 80s, or maybe even a little bit after, doesn't matter, the whole thing's about nostalgia. Honestly, we'll take your money. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Damn straight. So it's not just a blast from our, as in yours and my past. Right. It's a blast from ours and everybody in the world's past.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's all about nostalgia and the things of our childhood. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the 80s and 90s. That's just where it falls for us. Yes. Very true.
1: All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Ken Johnson. You are my new favorite person. Yes, that includes being more my favorite person than my mom was. Uh, <laughs> it's because Ken is my most recent patron and so i love him even more than my own mother so thank you ken (laughs) okay and i would tell her that to her face uh all right how about we just let's just move on to mrs doubtfire all right okay let's uh transform our way into mrs doubtfire if you will Well, actually, before we go into Mrs. Fire, here are two cool guys to tell you about another podcast you might like if
0: you like nostalgia. Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out
1: on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun and we
0: will see you there. Yeah, bring your Proton Pack and your Ecto Cooler and maybe some McNugget Buddies.
1: Mrs. Doubtfire from 1993. This film was directed by Chris Columbus, uh, who we've talked about him before on our Home Alone episode. He also directed Home Alone 2, Adventures in Babysitting, and the first two Harry Potter movies. So a very accomplished director here, especially Mm -hmm. kind of like family-friendly director at that. Something that I had no idea About this film until I kind of looked it up and did a tiny bit of research, a.k.a. typed in, you know, Miss Doubtfire on Wikipedia. Uh, (laughs) It told me
0: that this movie was based on a novel. That's right. By a woman named Anne Fine. Yeah, that that was I had the ridiculous had no clue. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. It seems like something Robin Williams would have cooked up in his head, mm-hmm. not something that they took straight from a novel. Exactly.
1: Uh, but apparently yeah, the novel came out in 1987, kind of written for English teenage and young adult audiences. Yeah. So Apparently they
0: you know? they interviewed Anne Fine and asked her who they who she thought should play the the part of Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, what she actually said was she thought Warren Beatty should play <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> And that's only because he was such a known womanizer, she thought it would be hilarious for him to have to play a woman. Oh,
1: fair enough. And you know what? Wasn't he in, uh, he
0: was in Dick Tracy, right? Yes, he was. Another film that we'll eventually get to down the road.
1: Yeah, uh, but I mean, I was only saying that just because he's used to makeup then, because Dick Tracy had a shit ton of a makeup team on that one. That's true. Yeah, very similar to this one. uh, The makeup team actually in Mrs. Dadfire won an Oscar for best makeup that year.
0: Oh, I believe it. I believe it.
1: I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, but you know what? I, I never would have thought that Mrs. Doubt I would be saying, you know, Oscar winning Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, <laughs> you know? I don't know. It, it's finally, you know, I just had no idea. But, you know, it, honestly, the Oscars got ruined for me. The second Suicide Squad won one, so fuck it. <laughs> this movie, do you know who did the music for this movie, John? Maybe you noticed it in the opening credits.
0: Uh, no, I think I missed that.
1: Okay, This music was done by one amazing, one of my most favorite scores of recent time, the recent, like, you know, the past 20 years, whenever it came out, this, the music in Mrs. Doubtfire was done by Howard Shore, who you would know, I know because you're a big fan of this trilogy as much as I am, and your wife is uh, even more of a fan than either of us Mm -hmm. of this trilogy. He wrote the music for Lord of the Rings.
0: As soon as soon as you said that, it did come back to me that I noticed. Yeah. Oh yeah, Howard Shore did this.
1: Yeah, and that, that that trilogy's music is just absolutely amazing. It's stunning, and so and actually the music in this film is good too. You know, other than they have a lot of soundtrack, and so like the soundtracks are good, but like when they actually have score, it is solid. It's a yeah. solid score.
0: Um, I'm gonna plug this show. Actually, our friend Corey turned me on to this show. It's a podcast called uh, The Soundtrack Show. He goes over a bunch of different stuff. I think I've mentioned them before, uh, but one of the recent series that he's done was he did Howard Shore's Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay, nice. He talked about kind of the three films and, and, uh, and the Howard Shore score and, and along with it, and it's a fascinating look into uh, film scoring, so I highly recommend, if not the whole uh, podcast, which is great, at least those episodes.
1: Go check it out. It sounds fantastic. While we're plugging shit, let's go ahead and plug other ep- uh, other shows in the Blast From Our Past Network, including... Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, and Podcasting After Dark, because they're both awesome awesome shows. Okay, quick plug done. <laughs> Let's get back to Mrs. Doubtfire, but just had to get that in while we were plugging. Okay. Uh, this movie stars Robin Williams as Daniel Hillard slash Mrs. Doubtfire, Sally Field as Miranda Hillard. You know her from Forrest Gump and many other things. She's amazing. You know Robin Williams from tons of things. Both of them have won Oscars as well, so this is a pretty prestigious uh you know, cast and crew that we got going on. I'm sure Howard Howard Shore won an Oscar as well, uh, or multiple Oscars. He had to, has to have.
0: You like me? You really like me?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That was Sally Field. That yeah. wasn't. Yeah. When that was. What uh, was that? What was the, what, was the what, what did she win with that one for? Uh, some movie I don't think I've ever seen. It's, she's won two of them, and I, and that one was from like the 80s or something. Yeah, and I just can't. Did she win what for the Flying won. Nun? No. That was a TV show anyway. I know. So <laughs> uh, This movie also stars Pierce Brosnan as Stu, the uh, boyfriend or the, you know, later on boyfriend who, you know, Pierce Brosnan uh, as James Bond, uh, who happened. He became James Bond in 1995 with GoldenEye. Uh, so just a couple years after this is when he kind of got into
0: that route. Actually, and with a little bit of help from Chris Columbus. Oh, really? Yes, uh, because uh, in 1982, when they switched Bonds to, was it um, uh-huh. was it Dalton? Yeah, Dalton, Timothy Dalton, Dalton, I think. Christopher Columbus always thought it should be Pierce Brosnan because of his work on Remington Steel. Oh, yeah. And so when uh, some of the producers called Columbus to ask about Pierce Brosnan because he had just worked with him and he built him up, he's like, this is your guy. This is who you need to do. Adam, I might shock you. You did a good job. I would shock you this. Pierce Brosnan is my favorite Bond.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, that does shock me, uh, because I me mean, personally, my favorite is Daniel Craig, just because those are the only movies I've actually watched. <laughs> I don't really give a fuck about James Bond, uh, but Daniel Craig is is more interesting.
0: That's funny because the only movies I watched of Bond were Pierce Brosnan's. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, fair enough. I also I mean, am yeah. not a huge Bond fan. No,
1: yeah, it, Bond is honestly never going to make our list uh, unless someone pays us for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only way. I uh, just don't don't love those movies. They're a little too. They're just cheesy. I find them cheesy. Yeah, uh, that's why I like the Daniel Craig ones because they became just better action movies. That's true. But even not even all of those are any good. Uh, just a couple of them are good. So, oh, yeah. uh, who do you, who do you want to be the next Bond? Sorry, going off on a tangent here.
0: Well, they just cast the ne- uh, they cast the next 007.
1: Oh yeah, it's a female. Yes, yes, but that that may not be the next Bond. Well, but I uh, mean, Daniel Craig is still in the ne- is it the, the next Bond in the next film. Uh, right. So, who well, do you think will be the
0: uh, Bond? Apparently, he is still Bond, but they he's passed the moniker of 007 to this woman.
1: Okay, so she will take over the moniker of 007, and the and the series will continue with her.
0: I I don't know if it's going to continue. I just know that in the next movie, she's going to be 007, and but uh, Daniel Craig will be in the movie as James Bond. Would this be like
1: the first time that? a 007 if if this actress continues to play 007 down the line would this be the only time in any of the films that two 007s have actually crossed paths you know in in a film
0: i guess i don't know i'm not i'm not a bond historian so
1: yeah i mean i guess all the other 007s have all been james bond they've just been different people yes different actors i mean but it's all the same character right so
0: whatever cool
1: all right then let's talk about lisa jacob because she's the next actress on my list that I'm talking about. <laughs> she plays uh, Lydia Hillard, uh, and she's the oldest of the three kids of uh, Daniel and Miranda. Uh, you would recognize her from Independence Day. Mm-hmm. She played one of Randy Quaid's kids uh, yep. in Independence Day. And Matthew Lawrence plays Chris Hillard, uh, who is the middle child. And he is also the middle child of the Lawrence brothers. Ah, oh. uh, You know, you get Joey, Matthew, and Andy Lawrence. Uh, who were in that, you know, the Disney show Brotherly Love, but you remember Joey Lawrence, whoa from mm-hmm. Blossom. Yep. Uh etc. Uh, but so he's he's played the middle child so well because he is he is running real life. <laughs> and uh Mara Wilson played Natalie Hill Hillard, who uh, you would recognize her probably most from Matilda. She played Matilda.
0: Yep. Also uh Miracle on thirty fourth Street, the remake that they did in ninety four. Yes.
1: Yeah, and she was adorable. Like she was like the adorable, you know, girl child actress of that, you know, the early to mid nineties. Yeah, like and- one hundred.
0: And kind of getting, I'm not going to talk about too much, but getting ahead to when we cast, trying to find someone who was kind of mm-hmm. as adorable as Mara Wilson was, was basically yeah. an, an impossible task.
1: Agreed. I, I like who I chose, though. I think I chose a very, very cute girl. I think she kind of was like that, but it's it's hard to reach uh, Mara Wilson status uh, in adorability. Agreed. I'm about to start the movie, but just before we do, I want to discuss, and maybe maybe we should discuss this, uh, well, we could discuss this later on, but let's discuss it now. Overall, because we're going to be doing a casting of this, overall, is this the kind of movie that could be made today, with all of the type of humor that's based around kind of cross-dressing, and there's even jokes about uh, you know, transsexuality and stuff in there? Like, do you think this film could work if it was going to be remade today
0: i mean the only reason it could be remade is because the original is so beloved mm-hmm. um if you if this was an, an original concept now i don't think it would have worked yeah i think it's possible i think you know there, there would have to be some changes probably you know
1: yeah oh there, definitely some of the humor some of some of the uh just little jokes that they they pull out right i don't think don't last and don't and don't land like they did back then. Right. uh, Because humor was different times do change. Absolutely. Uh, And watching it with a new eyes, like, you know, you watch that and maybe you still laugh because part of it, you know, your humor is still in nostalgia, but also some of it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. They probably shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Or, you know, they shouldn't have done that. Now it's different, you know? Right. So, uh, anyway, yeah, just kind of curious about I mean, granted, I'm going through it with the eyes of a 33-year-old male who definitely enjoyed this film when he was younger. Uh, I mean, I don't remember if I saw this in the theater. Probably not. You know, most likely. I don't remember seeing a bunch of stuff in the theaters. Most most things we saw either on TV or we rented from Hollywood Video, uh, which actually, that's, that's what we had. I remember growing up mostly was Hollywood Video. Really? I remember uh, Blockbuster yeah. more. I mean, we had it, but, well, maybe just because I remember it later. Because Blockbuster... There, there was a much closer, because, well, yeah, there was a Hollywood video, like, not far from us in Alpharetta. That's what I remember. Oh, okay. But, yeah, but there was a Blockbuster as well. I mean, and probably, like, the earlier days was Blockbuster, and then Hollywood video kind of swooped in. And then they both failed, and that's that. <laughs> so,
0: because like, times change, people. Isn't there, like, one Blockbuster left in Oregon or something like that?
1: Yeah, exactly, and uh, I think it's Bend, Oregon, and they're holding strong. And apparently their Twitter is hilarious, but... Uh, Cool. Good for them. Good for them. They're they're not gonna last. They'll eventually go south as well. I'm sure. But good for them. All right. Let's let's stop living in the past, John. Let's talk about the past. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this movie starts off. We get uh, a very classical uh, Mozart's Figaro uh, like opera sing, being sung right now. Figaro,
0: Figaro, 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 Figaro.
1: Daniel is a voice artist, which I thought, you know, is very cool. He's he's providing the voices for uh this bird and a cat, very kind of similar to Sylvester and Tweety-esque kind of thing. But at one point, the cat, you know, is about to eat the bird and gives him like a final cigarette to smoke before he ends. And, you know, in a very, you know, current mentality, Daniel is like, no, I don't I don't think. This bird should be smoking, (laughs) you know. This is this is uh, this is the '90s, man. You know, we know we know too much shit about this, uh, which is true. And nowadays, they sure as hell wouldn't have that. Uh, And so, you know, he does kind of the very proud kind of thing because they they give him an ultimatum and be like, "Hey, man, you got to do this. You got to say the lines because we're paying you." Mm -hmm. And he's like peace out, bro. Uh, he's not He's not going to do it. And so he walks off. Uh, and as he walks off, we get a fantastic little porky pig impression that I always loved where he goes,
0: <clears> palate> palate, palate, palate,
1: palate. piss off, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> always loved that. He goes to his kid's school and he picks them all up. Uh, and I guess they must go to private school because there is no way all three of those kids are in the exact same grade or in the exact <laughs> same like school, right. you know, because, you know, Mar Wilson's Six or five or something. Right. And the oldest is like probably 13, 14, or 15 or something like that. Just saying. Yeah. Well, granted, if they're living in that house in San Francisco, they've got money. Right. So they're probably going to private school. So yeah. yeah. It's apparently Chris's birthday and it's his 12th birthday. And I thought it was quite funny. Uh, we just saw a scene of Daniel walking out because he didn't like the message that was being sent to kids of a uh, bird smoking, but, you know, he's, he's talking to his kid about, uh, you know, what does he want for a for his birthday, and Chris goes,
0: Got a surprise for you. Two strippers? Ooh, please. Two strippers? Ah, <gasps> oh, boy! Party? Yes!
1: <laughs> Two strippers? And it's like, oh, shit, okay. I guess that kind of humor is okay, but smoking humor is not. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, he's 12. I mean, shit. I don't remember at 12, you know, thinking about strippers. I don't think I, you know, really knew what a stripper was at 12. Maybe I did. I don't know.
0: Sorry, going back to the scene where he's in the uh, the voiceover booth, mm-hmm. the guy who kind of berates him, uh, you know, Lou or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, was played by an actor named Terrence McGovern, who was the voice of Launchpad McQuack. Oh, cool! Because we just talked about Darkwing Duck a couple episodes ago. So yeah, I we did. It was kind of punning it.
1: Nice. That's very cool. I did not realize that. That's awesome. So uh, we are at the party that Daniel is throwing at their house, and he got a mobile petting zoo to come. Uh, and of course, the place is just like getting torn up with all these kids <laughs> dancing around, being crazy with these animals everywhere. Uh, and apparently, this one neighbor, you know, is pissed off because it's too loud and messy, and she calls Miranda, who is Daniel's wife. And so then we meet her. Uh, at her office, and she's like a, I don't know, architectural designer or something like that.
0: Architectural design, interior design, I couldn't quite get, graphs is exactly what it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, but she does design of some type. Yeah. You know, she gets the call, and she heads back home. Uh, so she sees this madness and you know I always love the line you know while she's walking into the house and you know she's got this cake in her arms and she looks at this goat that's eating her flowers and she said you ate my begonias and she, <laughs> as if as if you know you know she's scolding this goat you know cuz it's a fucking goat right. but uh, Sally Field I will say I really like her performance in this film. Mm -hmm. I don't feel she does all that many comedies, but she is a good comedy actress. Yeah. So obviously the house is a mess. We see this pony kind of, you know, eats part of the cake and I think that's kind of funny, but we (laughs) see Daniel is dancing on the table with these kids and she walks in and fuck party is over. You know, he's in trouble, you know, that now they're fighting. It's obviously not a happy marriage. You know, they're just kind of going after it, and, uh, and it ends up in you know her basically saying it's over and then she really nails it in the coffin when she says the d word divorce yeah so obviously things had not been good for a while
0: i lo- sorry to back up but i i love that the song that he's playing when they're coming in is house of pain i'm the cream of the crop i
1: rise to the top i never eat a so big cause a pig is a cop i better yet a terminator like all the switzer nigger try to play me out like is my name is Sega. i'm coming to get you i'm coming to get you spitting out lyrics homie i want you
0: Ha! What's Jump up? Around. Your home early, girlfriend! Yeah,
1: <laughs> which makes sense, yeah. Yeah, House of Pain, Jump Around, yeah. uh, which is a very good song. Very good party song, you know, in the 90s, absolutely.
0: I so associate this scene with that song. Every time I hear that song, this scene kind of pops in my head a little bit.
1: Nice! That makes sense. We cut to... You know Daniel at his brother's house. You know, so he's he's out of the house. Things aren't looking good. Uh, but we do get to meet his brother Frank, played by fantastically played by Harvey Firestein. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Great little, like, you know, supporting actor, character actor yeah. uh, that, you know, he's I mean, he's he's about the exact same in almost every movie he's in, he's in. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not exact same. You know, he's got some slight differences. You know, I, I like to think of a different role that he was in also with, in a Robin Williams movie, uh, Death to Smoochie, where he's not really that same type at all. But, right. you know,
0: his his voice is so unique. I agree. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Harvey Firestein seeked out Robin Williams when he found out that he was making a movie that was going to have a gay brother and basically was like, mm-hmm. I want to play this part.
1: Nice. No, he, I mean, so. he, he's fantastic. I mean, and this is, I mean, I mean granted, Harvey Firestein is remembered for a lot of different stuff. Right. You know, for me, this one is always one that I probably remember one of the most.
0: I agree. I tend to associate him with this movie more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we are at uh, custody proceedings. Doesn't end up very good. For Daniel, Miranda gets full custody of the kids with Daniel getting visitation every Saturday, uh, which apparently is only temporary for him. He's got 90 days to find a job and a place, and the court will reconsider uh, joint custody at that time. It's kind of how it was. Uh, a lot of the time, that's how things ended in divorce in like the 80s and 90s. Uh, we, de- we definitely were products of something similar. Yep. Anyway, uh, Daniel says goodbye to his kids and-, and leaves his old house. You know, it's somewhat emotional. So then we meet uh, his court liaison, uh, Mrs. Selner, who was played by... Anne Haney, who is a great little character actress, you know, seen her in tons of different stuff. I feel, uh, but I probably remember her best from either this or she was also really good in *Liar Liar*. If you remember that, John. Yes,
0: I also really loved her in uh, *American President*.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, she was in that one as well. She wasn't was this she? she was the secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so she apparently is gonna kind of oversee and and help you know Daniel find a job and you know place to live and kind of ultimately evaluate. You know how things are going pretty much the judge's decision will kind of be based heavily on what she sees and and whatnot Uh, what we get here is a great little scene of you know her asking daniel you know she's trying to be like okay let's help you find a job you know what do you do and he's like well i do voices and then we get a little like you know just (laughs) not really a montage we just get cut after cut after cut of him doing different voices we get all those examples and it's it's quite humorous very robin williams what do you mean you do voices Ben? I do voices.
0: Yes! We've come to this planet looking for intelligent life. Oops, we made a mistake. We're happy to be in America. Don't ask for a green card. (laughs) I want you in the worst way. Well, this is certainly a rough meeting, and it's not going very well for me, I'll tell you that. Hey, boss, give it a chance. She's gonna loosen up any moment. (laughs) Look at me right now, money penny. I want to undo that bow and get to know you. I'm crazy to make a deal with you! Nancy and I are still looking for the other half of my head. (laughs) Idiot! I'm sitting on a gold mine. Don't make me smack you, sweetheart. I'll do it. I do a great impression of a hot dog. Apparently, I mean, it, there's no question he improvised a lot on this yes. movie. I was going to say um, the same thing. And apparently he would do a couple of takes with the actual lines and then Christopher Columbus would just let him play mm-hmm. and he would do like 15 to 20 takes until he was basically done with the scene if he'd played out everything he could think of then he was like okay now then he was ready to move on nice also according to i don't know if this is if it's really true or sorry i'm joking but apparently Christopher Columbus said there's a PG PG13 R and NC17 cut of the movie <laughs> because of all the things <laughs> that Robin Williams <laughs> improvised <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I could totally see that. You know, he might he might be hyperbolizing, but uh, I think he's probably pretty close to the truth on that. Right. So Robin Williams does all that thing. I do love, she's got a quick little comeback uh, where she says, Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? And then his response is awesome. And he's just
0: like, I used to. There was a time when I found myself funny. But today you have proven me wrong. Thank you.
1: And he's just kind of like, <laughs> she shoots him down hard. And I think it's, it's uh, pretty funny. Uh, we got a quick little scene where Daniel gets a job at a TV studio. He's kind of a, a shipping manager uh, sending out uh, reels of film. Uh, that role would definitely not happen anymore as everything is digital and you can just send it over the Internet <laughs> and all those terabytes of data that you can send on the Internet uh, in, in within a second's time. So yeah, that uh, that little factoid came back, John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at Miranda's work, we meet Stu played by Pierce Brosnan, uh, who is apparently like this super rich-ass guy, and he wants to restore this building, and he wants her to kind of help design that. Uh, And he really, you know, they obviously have some kind of past... Uh, which we just kind of confer from, you know, them talking and whatnot. Uh, and he he pretty much hits on her immediately. Mm-hmm. They kind of have, like, some little hints that, like, I don't know, like maybe back in the day, like, she chose Stu like Daniel over her, over Stu or something. I don't know. I, I feel like there was I definitely, something in there. I definitely
0: there. got the hint that maybe there was some kind of romantic involvement between the two of them in the past. And maybe it was the way past. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, maybe it was college or something like that. But, but there was definitely something between them before.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At Daniel's apartment, uh, we see, you know, he, he's he got the kids over. His place is, you know, pretty much a mess. You know, he's not doing so great so far. Uh, he and the kids are having a very awkward dinner. And you know, I, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, a scene about, I think, Daniel's talking about, uh, oh, uh, you know, maybe your mother got this uh, parasite or whatever, whatever it was pretty much ends up, you know, that gives uh, Miranda explosive diarrhea. He was kind of joking about.
0: What's me big dysentery? Oh, it's some kind of infection in your tummy. We get diarrhea forever. Diarrhea forever? Your body dries up and you die. No. You die? You don't have to be so graphic with her. Why would you want mommy to die? She's,
1: <laughs> she's a good kid actress. Damn, yeah. she was good. Yep. But yeah, we see so we see her, you know, the 12-year-old, the, the middle kid, Chris, is just kind of regular kind of being kind of whatever normal. He's somewhat sane, but the oldest kid uh, is kind of being plain mean and just like kind of stuffy at this time. I think maybe it's, you know, they're kind of playing up, you know, the divorce is actually hitting her hard, maybe harder than Chris. And, you know, she's kind of acting out by she's making some comments that she probably wouldn't have normally. She's probably a very upstanding daughter and, you know, always did what she's told. But now she's kind of acting out a little bit. Mm-hmm. She just she just makes these little comments. that's just like, man, you're harsh. <laughs> anyway, you know, like, in something like, she even like tells her dad like he's not trying hard enough, you know, and she's basically you're not good enough right now. You got to do better. And it's just like, damn. All right. You know what? The dude, the dude just lost everything, so he's going to take a little <laughs> time to pick himself up. Uh, Miranda comes, and she comes way too early to pick them up. And honestly, you can really, you know, you hear her honking outside the apartment. You kind of, you really feel for Daniel's character right here, you know, because he's lost everything, and he just wants to spend time with his kids. And he's getting yeah. rushed out of that right now. And, you know, it's it's awkward, you know, for with him around the kids, but it's also, you know, as an adult, you know, I feel really bad for him right now, which is obviously what, you know, they wanted us to do, you know, and and Miranda's slightly the villain, but not too much, which is good, because they don't paint her in too much of a horrible light, which is uh, helpful, because, you know, it's not, it's not that easy, (laughs) you know, a lot of other movies, right, that involve divorce, it's almost always, uh, you know, a hero and a villain situation, but they don't, Uh, but at one point, you know, you you really kind of see his frustration, where, you know, the kids are about to leave, and he still feels that he has an hour with him, he's like, no,
0: no, 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 come on, sit down, sit down, sit down you don't have to run off when she honks the horn come on you're on my time now you're my goddamn kids too
1: you know and he's just so frustrated with everything you know miranda comes in and she kind of busts into the door uh and like, you know trying to get the kids to leave and she lets Daniel knows that she's looking for a housekeeper. You know, he says that he can, you know, pick up the kids and hang out with them. And, uh, you know, he wants to do that. Uh, and we get a, just a fantastic repetition of the line that we had just heard where little Natalie uh, says to her mother very calmly,
0: we his goddamn uh, kids too.
1: And I just about <laughs> shat myself with how adorable and hilarious that line was. <laughs> and her, her delivery was just perfect, man. Daniel, you know, slyly uh, he, you know, he kind of sees uh, the ad that the newspaper ad that she's gonna use to try and find a housekeeper, and he changes a couple of the numbers so that way she'll never get a call from it, uh, and so instead he uses. One of his talents, which is his many voices, and Mm -hmm. uh, he ends up calling her with the different voices. It's a fun little scene, you know, uh, of him calling her in different voices, giving her really shitty or awkward type of uh, different people or different stereotypes or whatever. Right. Answering the call for it, uh, which also would not really ever would not work today, um, because if you know someone had caller ID, they would just know that he's calling (laughs) the same same number every time. (laughs) Right. Also, I kind of feel like, you know, has she, has she not heard a lot of his voices or, you know, couldn't she, (laughs) couldn't she pick out, even, you know, even if you did like a British accent, John, uh, I feel like I would still know that it's you over the phone.
0: Probably, yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so, and, you know, she was with this man for, you know, 15, 16, what, more years or whatever it was. Maybe they said 14 years, but. Yeah, that just seemed. <laughs> now that was just like, eh, that feels like a plot hole to me. But I'll let it slide. But I will. I will add in there that we do get a transgender joke in there in in one of these calls that would totally not fly today. Mm-hmm. Um, where he's using one of his voices, kind of one, one of his female voices, where he goes, you know,
0: I don't work with the males because I used to be one. <laughs> she uh,
1: is, you know, very awkwardly. It's like, oh no, 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 positions filled or whatever, and she hangs up on right. it. Uh, where I don't, yeah. As we mentioned before, I don't think so casually that would just be like a ha 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 used to be a male uh, where that's not really an issue. Right. Then after, you know, his group of uh, his, you know, non desirable housekeepers, uh, he decides to put on his old lady British voice. He nails that interview, and so you know uh, he has to find a name for this person. At one point, kind of just looks through, sees the newspaper, and sees the words "doubt" and "fire" right next to each other. So he names his new British character Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, which was cute, and it just that works really well. So Daniel then goes to his brother, who is a movie makeup artist. How perfectly is that? Yep. So we get. Uh, a fantastic line when he first gets to his place. <laughs> yeah, I love this line. Where Harvey Firestein opens up the door, Frank opens up the door, and he says, "Could you make me a woman?" And then, and then Frank's response is equally as great, where he says, <sighs> "Honey, I'm so
0: happy." <laughs> it's just,
1: and it's great. And then we get a scene, you know, where Frank and his partner uh, are going through the different looks of Mrs. Doubtfire. And we get uh, a great little, you know, great song, Luck Be a Lady Tonight, playing as they go through the different looks and they're trying to find the correct one, which they eventually do. In, in the Mrs. Doubtfire we know. Uh, we cut to the kids, and they are watching this freaky scene, which I always, <laughs> I remember this scene. Like, you see it, like, you forget about it completely until you start seeing it, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a weird face smushy scene, which actually fantastically transitions from the scene before, you know, where they were literally, you know, transforming Robin Williams' face into Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, now they're just like, you're seeing a weird-ass scene from this, you know, black-and-white show or movie uh, where they're face mushing this person, which apparently is actually from the show Outer Limits, if you knew oh. that show. Yeah. Uh, okay. specifically, it's from an episode called The Hundred Days of the Dragon, where a spy infiltrates the U.S. government by changing his face to look like the president. And that's apparently the scene that that was going on right there. So. Okay. In case anybody was curious, <laughs> um, Mrs. Doubtfire arrives for her interview, and she meets the kids and Miranda, and it's you know it's really cute because us as the audience obviously knows that you know that is Daniel in there, uh, and he's just super excited to see his kids, and uh, you know we have some good little back and forth uh, in the scene, but also we get a line that I absolutely love. I thought was quite funny, uh, where at one point Miranda is like. You know, starting to bad talk Daniel a little bit. And Doubtfire's like, you see, he's the kind. Excuse me, dear.
0: I'm sure you normally would encourage the children to step out of the room before you verbally bash their father.
1: Mm-hmm. And Miranda, I love her response, says. Well, if I did that, I might never see them again. Oh, but I'm As if she only ever says bad things about Daniel. Which, I mean, granted, at this point, the the, diver- the divorce has only been going on for probably a few weeks or, you know, maybe a month at most. <laughs> so, right. But I just thought that was a damn funny line. It's, you know, it's played as, like, awkwardy humor in the movie, but I thought it was still pretty good. So, of course, Mrs. Doubtfire gets the job, and uh, on the way out, uh, she takes the bus, which we'll come back just a little bit later, but uh, this bus driver hits on her, and it's just kind of funny. Uh, what I do like, though, is uh, as as... She's walking. Daniel says,
0: "I'm back. Jesus. If I find the misogynistic bastard that invented heels, I'll kill him.
1: Humorous, which, I, you know, you hear women in particular talking about how uh, heels aren't comfortable to walk in. And so now you get Daniel, who hasn't really walked in them now, understanding their plight. And I think it's quite funny. But just as Doubtfire arrives home, uh, Mrs. Selner, the court liaison, arrives for... An inspection so here we get a little taste of kind of things to come down later but a great scene where daniel has to balance going back and forth between doubtfire and daniel to try and fool one single person you know as if they were mm-hmm. in the same area you know we get very quick undressing from doubtfire it's it's quite funny he's making puns the entire time uh which is awesome. And I really didn't pick those up when I was younger, but now I, you know, he's, he's taking off, you know, his, his breast top and he's talking about either a chest or something, you know, he's just got little puns, like discussing when he's taking these off and it works really, really well, but he just has to go back and forth and back and forth. And it's super hectic. You know, his fake face falls out of the window and gets run over by a truck. And so now he's trying to figure out, Oh shit. Uh, he's has to make tea for, uh, Mrs. Selner, but he doesn't have a face. And so we get a fantastic, at the last second he opens up the fridge sees a cake in there shoves his face into it as if he's wearing like a face mask mm-hmm. he pulls, busts out maybe the greatest hello in cinema history
0: hello where
1: he goes <laughs> hello and, and just right right when he busts out of the uh of the fridge and it's it's fantastic and in just perfect robin williams fashion you get a good funny scene of the icing dropping into uh the tea as he's making it giving it to
0: her which apparently was improvised because the lights were so hot that they were melting the icing Ah. and so robin williams just improvised and went with it
1: oh nice well i mean it works very well that makes a lot of sense back in those days the lights are extremely hot on set uh and they used fresnel lighting which is is so so much hotter people would just get crazy sweaty having to work under the lights for a long period of time so that totally makes sense that the icing wouldn't do it nowadays uh maybe maybe probably they probably still use a good bit of Fresnel's on set but nowadays you also have the option of led lighting which is a lot cooler right Uh, it's still very bright but it's a lot cooler and you don't have to worry about having to make your your team sweat as much (laughs) so
0: and apparently it was originally going to be an avocado not a cake oh okay he apparently looked too monstrous with yeah. the green the green avocado <laughs> on his face
1: yeah i mean
0: it's also i mean i
1: guess if he put his face into a bowl of guacamole that would make sense right but like the cake i don't know there's just something about him shoving his face into the cake that works really <laughs> fucking well yeah so then uh the song papa's got a brand new bag is playing in the background and we see him kind of living his life as he's doing his regular job and he's kind of swapping into doubtfire just kind of good little transitional scene here. We also see that uh, Doubtfire is a bit of a harsh badass. You know, she forces <laughs> the kids to do chores, and she's gonna be stern and lay down the law and just make sure that they do their shit. She's Doubtfire is gonna be a good nanny no matter what. <laughs> but yep. but I guess so. He don't he doesn't want to lose his job. He wants to be able to see the kids. Right. You know he's gonna he's gonna be stern, which is which well, I guess what he knows Miranda wants. So right. We do get a funny scene of him trying to cook, uh, very unsuccessfully, uh, and. He ends up, at one point, lighting his boobs on fire. And fuck me, John, (laughs) if that's not comedy gold, man, boobs on fire is genius. (laughs) Like that, now that is comedy. That's what I want to say. But it is a fantastic scene. It's a classic, I feel, scene from Mrs. Doubtfire anyway. He's got to put out the boobs with the lids.
0: Pot lids, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's good. And a classic line that he gives right afterwards. Look at this. My first day as a woman... Getting hot flashes. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. That is a damn
1: good line. Absolutely. Obviously, instead of cooking, uh, he ends up ordering a meal from this fancy-ass place, uh, and uh, it works out perfectly well because Miranda comes home and Doubtfire has the dinner all prepared for him, and everyone's excited, and they eat, eat a wonderful meal. On the bus on the way back home, we see this bus driver notices uh, Doubtfire's panty hoses drop down, and I love his line where he's like,
0: I like that Mediterranean-looking woman. Natural. Healthy. That's the way God made you.
1: He's really <laughs> coming on strong onto uh, Doubtfire <laughs> right now, so I can, I give him. Uh, I guess he's he's maybe being a little creepy, but <laughs>
0: I always liked that guy. He's trying to be nice about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we get a song and a little kind of montage here uh, that was 100% used for the trailer, and in my opinion, is almost synonymous with this movie now, uh, and that is "Dude Looks Like a Lady" by Aerosmith. <laughs> that's playing as we get the montage of doubtfire just doing housework uh you know watching the kids you know particularly you know the scene of doubtfire dancing with the vacuum it's fantastic right uh robin williams is a just great comedian in all sense of the words you know he's he's quick but also he does a lot of good physical stuff when he got when he got into the mind of i'm gonna have this 60 year old lady dance with a vacuum he does a fantastic job (laughs) it works really well we also get. I also want to point out one little other part that was in the montage uh, was when someone tries to steal, you know, the old lady, old Mrs. Doubtfire's purse. Right. He didn't. wasn't expecting that. He'd get Robin Williams to be like, fucking back off, man, and just really just kind of out-muscling the guy, <laughs> which is perfect. When Doubtfire goes back to, you know, Miranda's house, Stu's there now, uh, and we get a good—we get a really good interaction between Doubtfire and Stu— Watching this movie now, I really, really appreciated some of those little quick Robin William lines. You know, they could have been written, but little lines that Doubtfire says that are kind of like, you know, snide little comments to like stick them into stew or, you know, even like doing jokes with Miranda about stuff that I probably didn't understand when I was younger, but I understand a lot more now. And, you know, they're usually either sexual in content or you know, just more adult stuff that I pick up on. And this is a fantastic scene of that. Um, also Doubtfire has talks to Miranda at one point, uh, and basically kind of like trying to guide her to never have sex again, <laughs> you know, basically being like, oh, after my husband died, uh, I, I went celibate and that's what you should do too. Like that kind of stuff that was just, it's funny. You know, it's, it seems funny when you were younger, but it's legitimately funny now when you're fully understanding everything. Right. So while watching the kids, Chris, uh, in this next little scene, Chris, Ends up accidentally walking in on Doubtfire when uh, she's peeing, but of course she pees like a guy, mm-hmm. uh, and so Chris is freaking out. And I absolutely love his on his unaudible like oh, he's a she. She's a he. See, well, Mrs. Doubtfire. He's a she, he's a she, she he's a she, she. Uh, Just kind of really freaking out, you know, as he's talking to his sister. Daniel comes in and he has to, he ends up ends up coming clean to just the two kids. You know, he doesn't want to tell the youngest daughter because she's too young and she would spill the beans immediately. But they, from now on, the two older kids know that it's their father. And so they're really, you know, obviously happy about that. And they, even though they're kind of weirded out about it at first. <laughs> One thing I didn't like about this scene is uh, the daughter asks who did this? Uh, right. The makeup, meaning the makeup and whatnot, and Robin Williams are and Daniel responds, Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack. The only thing I don't like about that is it just call them Uncle Frank and Uncle Jack. Right. In today's society, you don't need to associate a relationship always with a male and a female role. Right. You know if it's if if it's a homosexual relationship so it's not one has to be the male one has to be the female just say it's uncle frank and uncle jack anyway small little thing but i was just like damn it if they just changed that one fucking word it would be more progressive and be better right but anyway now we are at the tv studio and we see this crazy ass boring like scientific dinosaur show going on uh and daniel kind of is just making fun of it to this random dude quote-unquote random dude who without knowing it he's actually talking to the the head of the studio the boss the gm uh, and owner of the studio mm-hmm. and basically that's just a quick little plant that will come back later for us doubtfire goes back to miranda's house and miranda's miranda asks doubtfire about her older husband and kind of how he died and I, <laughs> a line that i like uh that doubtfire says it was a drink that killed him
0: how awful! He was an alcoholic.
1: No, he was hit by a Guinness truck. So literally, <laughs> the drink killed him. It's just, it's humorous. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that could have been improvised as well. I'm sure there was plenty of that uh, in this film, right. as you mentioned. And and they end up having a little heart-to-heart about kind of what went wrong uh, with Miranda's marriage. So we then have a little scene at the country club pool where apparently Stu has invited the entire family uh, and Mrs. Doubtfire to go hang out. Um, And, uh, you know, Doubtfire doesn't want to get undressed uh, and expose herself, obviously, or himself uh, to everybody. So he's like, Doubtfire says she's just going to go hang at the bar while the family does their thing. A funny quick little scene of Daniel forgetting that he's in garb and he's checking out this blonde hitting on her but. Obviously, that that goes nowhere. And Stu kind of comes in and starts starts kind of talking to one of his friends at the club or whatever. And honestly, the one thing uh, that I do kind of like, they don't turn Stu into, like, the asshole right. boyfriend or the asshole stepdad. He's he, he's never actually legitimately a bad guy. Right. You know, he, at, at one point here in this scene, you know, he calls Daniel a loser. And that kind of sets Doubtfire slash Daniel off and he throws a lime at the back of his head. Funny scene. But... Don't really blame him. He's not really being a jerk because he's just he legitimately says, "Oh, I like these kids. I don't typically like kids, but I really like Miranda and I really like these kids. You know, they're mm-hmm. uh, it's something I really want to go for." So I, I do think that's a good thing with this film, where a lot of other ones would typically turn him into you know a villain where he is trying to either use the kids or use Miranda, but he legitimately likes them right. and, and likes her, and you know they're not trying to force. Daniel and Miranda back together, which I like. Yeah. So we'll cut to back to the studio. And Daniel is just kind of like, you know, on set by himself because everyone's you know done. And he's playing with that old boring guy's dinosaurs and just being silly, being very Robin Williams, doing different voices with him. And it's being cute. Uh, The boss sees it and likes it. And so he wants to schedule a meeting at dinner at uh, this one fancy restaurant at 7 p.m. on Friday night. And so sweet. He's got a business meeting. This is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Then it feels like it's been a long time since we've had a scene at Daniel's apartment with the kids. But now we kind of cut back to that because we know he, he sees them every Saturday. Right. <laughs> but uh, after all of this, you know, we finally get a scene. His apartment now is really, you know, neat and tidied. He's learned a lot from Mrs. Doubtfire in uh-huh. case you haven't noticed John so he's <laughs> he's got his life back up and running a little bit better so he's he's having dinner with them and Miranda kind of comes in to pick up the kids and she's kind of surprised at how fantastic things are but unfortunately Daniel's trying to show look how much better I'm doing but now Miranda likes Mrs. Doubtfire so much that she doesn't want to give up that time with Mrs. Doubtfire because her life is going so well right damn it he's too good at his job <laughs> then we get uh, a cute scene at Miranda's house picking out a dress for you know a, a birthday dinner and Of course, Mrs. Doubtfire is trying to push this ugly, older, funeral-esque dress where the other ones are much cuter, slinky little date dresses. But Stu wants to have everybody, including Doubtfire, at dinner at this restaurant at 7 o'clock on Friday that's the exact same restaurant that Daniel already has a meeting for. And it's like, oh, shit, I can't do that. But pressure from Miranda and the kids is basically, all right, fine. He reluctantly agrees. Uh-oh, John, it sounds like some hijinks are about to happen in this movie. It's going to be crazy. Uh, so we are at the restaurant, and Daniel has to pull double duty. You know, we get a whole bunch of, of funny things that, that happen in this scene. I'm going to try and just kind of move fairly quick through it. But, you know, at one point, uh, you know, they're... they're following the studio head in and he goes to the non-smoking section and Mrs. Doubtfire pushes them to the smoking section very humorously saying that her husband was a smoker and she likes to be around it shit (laughs) like that which these people bend over backwards for her honestly like I I would not I'd be like well too fucking bad that you want to you know you go stand in that section I'm not going to put my kids in the smoking section just because you miss your husband right but Sally Field really likes Mrs. Doubtfire and (laughs) so she's she's letting it happen anyway we get Daniel slash Mrs. Doubtfire having to go back and forth to jump between different meetings. It's funny. Uh, there is a funny little scene at one point where everybody at the table leaves and it's just Doubtfire and Stu. Uh, and Stu had just given Miranda this very fancy-ass necklace for her birthday. And we get a little slew of Robin Williams' sex innuendos where he's just like, oh, I see you bought her a going down payment, which I <laughs> I thought that was, you know, a down payment but this is a going down payment. Right. I thought that was like, and then just keeps going on like Sink the sub,
0: hide the weasel, park the porpoise. Bit of the old Humpty Dumpty. Little Jack Horny. The horizontal mumbo. The bone dancer.
1: Rumpelforsky.
0: Baloney bop. Bit of the old cunning linguistics. Mm-hmm.
1: This is fire, please. Oh, just a <laughs> ton of just sexual innuendos, and it, it's fantastic. You know, that quick, improvised kind of um, Robin Williams esque humor that works really well. Yeah. So then we get to, you know, we see the different switching going back and forth. Uh, obviously, it's, it's different madness. Uh, his teeth fall out at some point. Uh, he puts a bunch of pepper into Stu's dinner because he overhears that Stu is allergic to pepper.
0: So the the, fall, the teeth falling thing was also improvised, and he didn't tell anyone else he was going to do it. Oh, So nice. <laughs> the reactions that you see of the people are, are <laughs> genuine. Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a funny scene. So he does that. He has the pepper in the stew uh and then he you know in his mrs doubtfire garb he ends up sitting in front of the studio executive and he has to play it off like oh this is the character i'm gonna put on tv which is just kind of interesting you know that's uh-huh. a very interesting pitch uh so stew ends up eating the jambalaya you know he has all this pepper on his shrimp uh which you know ends up making him choke and you know he's freaking out he's choking uh which honestly john i I don't have any allergies, but I'm pretty sure that's not how allergies work. If you have an allergy to pepper, it just doesn't mean you're going to just start choking on the shrimp. It's going to mean that you're going to, like, swell up. It means your throat might close and you might choke to death. It doesn't mean that, oh, a p- piece of shrimp's going to get stuck in your throat like that. Yeah. Or maybe he'll just get some rashes or, or hives or something. Like, But whatever. <laughs> I guess <laughs> so be it. He, uh, he gets some shrimp stuck into his throat. But So Mrs. Doubtfire runs over there. Gives them the Heimlich, he pops it out, but in doing so, part of his mask has come off, and shit, you know, the, the ruse is up yep. right now, if you will. Uh, and of course, Miranda's pissed, and everyone's, it's very awkward. Uh, we cut to a court hearing, and Daniel gives a very good, heartfelt plea you know, to try and keep his kids, but ultimately doesn't end up working. And Miranda gets full custody. Honestly, if I was the judge, I would probably do the exact same thing. You know, I think uh, Daniel probably overstepped his bounds. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if I knew that the husband did that, I would probably say, yeah, you're not going to get custody. We'll Talk about it later, but you need a psyche val. And that's, that's pretty <laughs> much what he says to him. Uh, and I think that seems about right. Cut back to Miranda, who is now looking for a new housekeeper. Things aren't going very well. They kind of end up, they talk about Mrs. Doubtfire, about how much they miss her. And then they overhear her voice on the TV. And, a, and as Daniel kind of pitched before, Mrs. Doubtfire is a new character that is on TV as a wonderful children's little nanny giving informational stuff, but doing it in a fantastically approachable way. I do think it's quite humorous that one of the lines that Mrs. Doubtfire has this puppet chimp that talks to, (laughs) she's talking about England and she turns to the chimp and says, do you know what language they speak in England? Uh, And he's like,
0: Pakistani. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just thought I thought that was also funny. Also because the line that Mrs. Doubtfire says That's
0: right, Kovacs, In many stores they do. <laughs>
1: but <laughs> but they also speak English or whatever. And I just thought that was... I don't know what about about that line. I thought that was funny as shit. So. <laughs> but Miranda goes to see Daniel on set and they kind of talk a little bit. And now we cut to Miranda's house. There's a new babysitter. The kids are all worried. Open the door and it's Daniel. Yay! Not in Mrs. Doubtfire garb, just in regular garb. He gets to see his kids She's allowed Daniel to take the kids home and be with them after school and do all that stuff. Um, and it's fantastic. And uh, we end pretty much with a scene as uh, Mrs. Doubtfire on TV is responding to this kid's letter about divorce and mm-hmm. just kind of giving advice on divorce that, you know, sometimes divorce happens to to everybody or, you know, it can happen to anybody. And it's it doesn't mean you're a bad kid. And, you know, sometimes the parents might get back together. Sometimes they won't. And it ends with that as Daniel is taking his kids and spending time with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was kind of a nice little poignant way to end the film.
0: I agree. Yeah.
1: So uh, let's go into our final thoughts. That's the end of the movie. And uh, let's see what we thought. John, would you start us off, actually?
0: Uh, yeah. I actually was a little worried that this may not hold up as much as I remembered. And, and yeah, some of the, the jokes didn't land exactly as they, you know, did. 20-something years ago. But largely, it was still pretty damn funny. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams' humor is pretty timeless. Even if you don't like all of his jokes, usually there's something in there for you. I had a fondness for it. I know we watched it quite a bit when we were kids. And truthfully, I still still enjoyed it. I still liked it.
1: Very much mostly agree. This film, I felt, always kind of spoke... To me, or maybe us, a little bit, because we were kids of divorce, right? And so, kind of, we we could relate. You know, that was something we could relate, and I could I fully understood this movie. Where you know, a lot of movies you can't relate. Like you watch something like fucking Richie Rich, you know, I can't (laughs) I can't relate to that, right? Uh, Or even like Home Alone. I know I never got left accidentally to do something crazy, but like this movie. You know, I can relate to those kids and I can relate to that situation. Uh, But now as an adult watching it, one of the things that I really realized is this movie kind of really helped me show the dad side. Right. You know, like I always, you know, watched the movie and you understood what was going on. But now watching it again at this age, I kind of see and I kind of understand his side more than I did before obviously and I kind of really get it and I really just when I was younger you know I could couldn't really step back and see divorce from mom's eyes or dad's eyes right or really like the troubles that it caused or that stuff you know and really couldn't see the difficulties of dad our dad even just seeing us every other weekend you know I didn't I didn't understand that when I was younger cuz they right. got divorced when I was like 4 our kids our, our our parents right and so I would just say like the thing that this movie makes me think about is yeah obviously our own lives in divorce, it kind of makes me think about dad's plight a right. little bit more, you know, right. because I, I mean, I grew up most of my entire memory of growing up was with mom having full custody and seeing dad every other weekend until he ended up having to move for a job uh, where I didn't see him. I saw him once a summer <laughs> right, was what it was for a while until he ended up moving back to Georgia. Uh, and, you know, I saw him, you know, more often after that. But then, you know, once he did that, you know, that was, Back into high school or later in high school and then in college where I didn't see him all that often because I was over in college. And then I moved out to Los Angeles. Right. So anyway, none of that being said, I had a fantastic childhood. You know, I love my childhood because, you know, that's what that's how it was for me. And that's what I was used to. But it's really nice to me at the end of this film. You know, I can see what reality might be for someone like my dad or for other a lot of other dads out there who probably had a similar situation. Now, not a lot of them probably became TV stars. (laughs) <laughs> like Robin Williams, like uh, Daniel Hiller did, uh, and, you know, have a fantastic Mrs. Doubtfire that they could turn into to come see us. Right. <laughs> but uh, you got a little bit of that, a little side of something that I didn't really know about. I also really, really like that this film didn't have Daniel and Miranda get back together. Mm-hmm. It didn't really push that at all. You At one point, you know, you kind of saw that Daniel wanted that, but Miranda was never really, never entertained it one bit. And I thought it was more real that way, that this film was like, you know, as... as over the top as it is that, you know, a person like Daniel Hillard aka, or, you know, slash Robin Williams would do something like this, dress up to see mm-hmm. his kids. It still felt like it was grounded enough in reality. I'm 100% with you. I think this movie still holds up, you know, as dated as some of the humor is from what they talk about and has, you know, like the overall cross-dressing topic mm-hmm. isn't something that people would probably take so seriously casually in jokes and, and in right. uh, you know a humorous comedy movie like this anymore i think this movie is really good and really holds up and there's some fantastic lessons in this film i mean come on john it, this film is hilarious as well right boobs on fire <laughs> fucking gold man <laughs> That's ga- comedy gold yeah so i'm gonna continue enjoying and speaking highly of mrs doubtfire i really really hold it in high regard and you know if it if it's up on tv again i'll probably just watch it and just be like yeah i'm quite enjoying it so i'm with you uh i, I had my doubts that maybe this is going to be a little bit more dated than i thought and there was some datedness to it but in general i really really appreciated mrs doubtfire agreed All right, now we are going to discuss the sitcom Full House that aired from 1987 to 1995. It has a total of eight seasons and 192 episodes. That's a hell of a run right there. That is pretty... Pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, I kind of forgot that it started as early as 87, honestly. I thought it was a little bit later. Right. But that's pretty cool. It aired on ABC, honestly, and it was in syndication for a long time after that. Hell, it's probably still in syndication being played on... It is. Yeah. You can
0: see it on TV now.
1: Yeah. 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 It's it's all over the place. So, you know, most people probably already know this, that Netflix started a spinoff series called Fuller House. I don't give a shit about that. I'm not going to talk about it. This is the only time I'm going to mention Fuller House because I don't care about it. Right. I, I know it's somewhat popular.
0: I watched two episodes and that was more yeah. than enough for me.
1: Yes, exactly. I watched the first episode and that was enough. And then I was done. Uh, You know, you got a little bit of that nostalgia whenever it was, was together. And then people left and it was mostly just, you know, uh, DJ Tanner doing her thing and her family. And I was just like, OK, I don't care about these new people. I right. just want the old people. And there's st- <laughs> I'm sure they're still in there. And so I just, eh, I, it's not for my credit out anymore you know it's not not my age group so right. this show is about a single father whose wife recently passed away, and his best friend and his brother-in-law move in with him to help him raise his three kids. So that's like the overall, the one-liner mm-hmm. about the show. Um, this show was created by Jeff Franklin, uh, who was a writer for some sh- episodes of Laverne and Shirley, so good comedy writer. Also, he created the show Hangin' with Mr. Cooper. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if you watched it. I liked that. I don't a hang of Mr. Cooper. I liked that show. It's one that is on our list, but I'm not sure. We probably won't get to it for a little while. Right. But it is—it was a—it was definitely a fun—a fun sitcom. This show starred Bob Saget as Danny Tanner, John Stamos as Uncle Jesse Katsopolis, Dave Coulier as Uncle Joey Gladstone, Candace Cameron as DJ Tanner, Jody Sweeten as Stephanie Tanner, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen as Michelle Tanner, uh, Lori Loughlin as Aunt Becky. And Andrea Barber as Kimmy Gibbler, and that's the, the the gist of the main people. Right. Everybody had their own kind of certain quirks. You know, it was kind of fun. Bob Saget was like a clean freak. You know, very nerdy kind of dad. Right. Overprotective, especially early on, and a super clean freak. Uh, uncle Jesse was kind of the cool rocker, hip, fun uncle kind of guy right. who was kind of like in a you know fish out of water situation he's like I don't I don't know how to deal with these kids, man. I'm just a cool rocker guy. <laughs> and then Dave was kind of the, you know, he's the man child. <laughs> Joey Gladstone was definitely, definitely just the big. He's just a big kid. He loved right. his little voices and etc. Stuff like that. And then Ann Becky was the one who ended up buying uh, her kids into uh, USC. Uh, those two baby kids that come <laughs> later on in the show, uh, Nikki and uh, I can't remember the twins' names. But Ale- Alex and Nikki. <laughs> Alex and Nikki. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. She bought their way into USC much later on. <laughs> That's uh, still not topical, but or not topical. Well, it's semi-topical, right. but it's it's hilarious. <laughs> I do want to talk. I'm just, not to get too horny over here, <laughs> but Lori Laughlin is fucking hot as shit in this show.
0: She's a, she a good looking woman. She still is a good looking woman. Oh, she is still very
1: attractive. I mean, all throughout all the seasons. Yeah, when she kind of came on, I think it was in season two or three or something. It was just like, whoa, hello, Aunt Becky. <laughs> she didn't start off as Aunt Becky. You know, like, Gradually worked up that way. Uh, but yeah, she is very, very attractive person. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on from my horniness. <laughs> this show reminded me a lot of the movie Three Men and a Baby. Okay. Uh, I thought, you know, it was like, oh, wait, I, I was particularly curious if that movie inspired the show at all. But actually, the show came out like I think it was like a month or two, a couple months before the movie actually premiered. Oh, it is almost is honestly almost as if the same Plot kind of got told to a couple different studios, and one person says this would be perfect for a movie. Let's, <laughs> and then another person said, "Oh, let's expand a part up on this, and let's turn this into a TV show." Uh, and it, it's just it just seemed fairly similar esque. Right. One thing that I do want to bring up, and I you know I'll just go ahead and bring it up this show had one of the best live action catchy opening theme songs of the late nineties or of the eighties and nineties. It's so catchy It's so It's so sitcommy. You know, I don't know <laughs> I don't know another way to do it uh, But in part That's because it was written By Jesse uh, Frederick Who This person, you know Did multiple songs for The TGIF lineup ah. uh, So Jesse Frederick wrote for The theme song And performed the theme songs For Full House Perfect Strangers Sometimes the world looks perfect Nothing just Family matters.
0: It's a rare condition this day and age To read any good news on the newspaper page The love and tradition of the grand design Some people say it's even harder to find Well then there must be
1: some magic clue Inside these gentle walls
0: it's all I see is the Tower of Dreams
1: And step by step. Oh, wow. All of those are uh, Jesse Fredericks, Uh, and so I think that's—I mean—that's it's pretty killer. I I mean, particularly between those, I I, I don't really remember Perfect Strangers off the top of my head, but if this person did it, it's probably pretty good. Family Matters is a fantastic theme song, as is Step by Steps, so obviously as is uh, Full House. So I agree. um, That makes me—that made me happy just seeing that all those were the same person.
0: And those were all shows that I definitely remember watching. All those shows. Perfect Strangers are a little less because I think it was a little mm-hmm. bit earlier and, and it wasn't exactly what yeah. I watched. But the other three, I definitely watched a ton of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And ones yeah, we will eventually get to, particularly Family Matters and Step by Step. So uh, the exterior shots uh, for their San Francisco home uh, really have become an icon. You know, it, right. it is a landmark for people to go to. Like I literally I see pictures pop up on like Instagram and shit all the time of people you know, going it's it's like the Mecca of 90s nostalgia nerds <laughs> to go to that place when they're in San Francisco and take a picture. Uh, and I actually heard like their particular house was on sale for some like crazy amount of money, like six million dollars or something, uh, which may be the average cost of a house in San Francisco. For God's sake, it's it's so much about right. <laughs> yeah. You see tons of people like, you know, out on the grass in that area uh, where like the, the theme song or the intro ends with everybody kind of in that picnic. People are on that grass. All the time taking pictures of that (laughs) row of houses. So Uh, this show just had a ton of different like catchphrases. It seemed like every person on the show had their own little thing. Right. Uncle Joey had a couple different things, but like the one that I probably remember the most was when he would go like,
0: "Come on now, cut it out!"
1: And he had his little hand signal for it, and and whatnot. Jesse would have his catchphrase, which was "Have mercy." If you you remember that one. Stephanie, when she was younger, she would always say. And uh, Michelle Tanner, uh, she got.
0: You got it, dude.
1: <laughs> those super cute. Everybody had like their own little things, which yeah. was fun. And then a couple other things I definitely want to call out that was just particularly, uh, you know, full house centric, which I can't not talk about. Which was uh, Jesse had his own band, The Rippers. Right. And uh, they, you know, they had a music. They even had their own music video for, which was a cover of a Beach Boys song called Forever. If God, is it cheesy, and it's so bad. And it was it was uh, used on one of the episodes of the show as well. Uh, but it just you know, I think John Stamos just really, really wanted to be like a an actual musician at some point, and he was hoping maybe this could lead to that. But like,
0: I don't think it he did, ever. It did. He toured with the Beach Boys. Oh, did, really? Yes, he was. He was a percussionist for the Beach Boys. Okay, all right then. You know what, John Stamos, I take it back, man. That's pretty solid. I think he did it after this show. Okay, so this did this led him to uh,
1: to a career playing with the Beach Boys, which is a band I've heard of. So cool! <laughs>
0: it's a band you heard of. So we kind of, I think we kind of have to talk about Jody Sweeten a little bit.
1: Well, I mean, I know she was okay. There were a couple different things about her. One, she's she was probably like the the most overlooked character right. for a long time and the most overlooked actress because after this show obviously Bob Saget continued a very dirty career in comedy, <laughs> uh Dave Coulier is a voice actor and and you know and, uh, and just comedian in general. Right. John Stamos is still a golden god of good looks. And then Candace Cameron, uh she you know she went on to do god movies and stuff <laughs> like that thing. with she her brother Jesus. And she found Jesus, uh, you know. I mean, she is the younger sister of Kirk Cameron, right. who also does a whole bunch of Jesus movies. Uh, which actually, Candace Cameron ended up uh, marrying a hockey player. Oh. and then obviously, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen uh, became huge icons, and like they made had they had their own other TV shows, other movies, fashion. Right, like they just they blew the hell up. Uh, but poor old little Jodie Sweetin, I think I heard she got into meth. Is that what she did?
0: She did. I don't know how much acting she did. Eventually, she got married. It came to light that she was addicted to meth. Her husband was a cop and had no idea. Oh, damn. <laughs> she did get divorced. She went into rehab, got her life together. I mean, now she's back on Fuller House. Mm-hmm. She, When Fuller House started, she was actually the topic of discussion because of kind of how much into a woman she grew Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's looking good. Yeah. But uh, it was sort of—I remember seeing that in the news, uh, maybe mid mid two thousands, around then, and just, and just kind of being like, oh. Because uh, you hear so much about child actors who get into drugs and and all you know kind of ruin their lives and stuff like this, and I was like, ah, not another one. Yeah, you know, not the not the Tanners. <laughs> I mean, well, no, you
1: you can't tell me that the Olsen twins haven't had drugs. They are I, they are fucking <laughs> was, crack skinny, John.
0: I, I was not gonna say it, but yeah, they they don't. I mean, we don't see them anymore. Mm. They don't. In the two thousands, they popped up into the news all the time, yeah. uh, not necessarily for their movies, just because for. Kind of like Paris Hilton, just like for being famous. Yeah. But we have not heard from them in a long I, time. Everyone focuses on their sister now. Yeah,
1: Elizabeth Ol- Elizabeth Olsen, obviously, who is Scarlet Witch, and a very very right. good actress in her own right. Yeah, she's she's doing good. But yeah, I think I think the other the Olsen twins are really just in the fashion world, and that's really what they're doing. Yeah.
0: So a couple of funny things I. F- I found out about uh, just the character of Michelle Tanner Mm -hmm. up until the last season they only credited them as one person they didn't credit them Individually, because they, they, the producers didn't want people to know that it was a twin, and then eventually it came out. So it just
1: said it just said Mary Kate
0: Ashley Olsen. It said Mary Kate Ashley Olsen was one as one name. Oh, okay, and then later they split it. I think in the last season or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that was interesting was one of them is left-handed and one of them is right-handed. So if you watch the show enough, you will notice that Michelle uses both hands to write and eat. I didn't. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> I did not know th- know that. Huh. And then uh, I guess. They figured out that one of them took better to the more serious scenes, and one of them took better to the more comedic scenes. So they would use them in those specific scenes mm-hmm. uh, because it was uh, they just seemed to do better in those kinds of mm-hmm. scenes. That makes total sense. I just thought it was an interesting yeah. fact.
1: That is that's good stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I watched this show quite a bit as a kid. I don't remember it being scheduled viewing for me. Like you know, every every week that we would watch it. Uh, But I definitely remember in syndication, I watched it like crazy.
0: Yeah. I remembered it being scheduled viewing in in syndication because the syndicated always came on a certain time and I always watched it.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like after school or something. I would always watch it and stuff like that. But I don't, yeah, I don't, I just don't think at the time I watched, I probably did watch some of it, but I don't really, really remember.
0: There was also another actor named Scott Winger. Mm. Or Wanger, I'm not sure oh. how you pronounce his name. He plays uh Steve.
1: Yeah, the boyfriend Steve, yeah.
0: There was a there was a, a scene or a scene in one of them where DJ imagines Steve as Aladdin. <laughs> okay. Scott Winger was the voice of Aladdin.
1: Oh, nice. That's cute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. So a little tie-in.
1: Yeah, that is a good little tie-in. Uh yeah, Steve Steve was always kind of like the the dumb doofus. Right. I don't. Rem- I haven't really. I don't. Re- I didn't watch Fuller House, so I don't know if they were the ones who ended up getting. If they got together, or maybe they're trying to get together now, or on the show or something. I just don't care. But <laughs> and I also remember at later seasons. Uh, maybe it was just. Maybe it was just the last season. At one point, DJ is dating this other kind of doofusy guy. Uh, he was a guitarist. It was actually one of the episodes that I watched. The guitarist and Jesse's band, but not the Rippers. This is after the Rippers apparently broke up. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I always liked Steve. He was kind of a kind of a fun, dumb character.
0: He's uh, he he's credited in thirty six episodes of Fuller House, okay. so he does oh, make yeah. some sort of appearance. Yeah, he's
1: definitely in there then. Okay, cool. Uh, so, yeah, I watched about three episodes. I watched the very first episode because I wanted to see the first one. Um, it's mm-hmm. wasn't actually the pilot. Apparently, there was an unaired pilot that they had someone else play the part of Danny Tanner. Apparently, Bob Saget couldn't make it for that. Uh, and so they kind of already had the pilot, but they ended up redoing it. Later with uh, with Bob Saget because that's who they wanted for the part. Okay. Um. So I watched that. I watched one in like season three or four, and then I watched another one in season eight, um, which was that uh, was their last season. So, yeah. Do you have any any other tidbits you want to add before I kind of dive into final thoughts?
0: No. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So um,
1: you know, so I watched it yeah, multiple episodes. I definitely watched it when I was younger. Uh, I thought this was definitely a cute show, and I still think this is a pretty cute show. I think for the most part. Uh, this stuff stands up. It it feels fairly 90s, but, you know, that's because it's standard definition. You're getting, you know, a laugh track, shit like that. And so it feels very sitcommy. you know, with that theme song, that kind of stuff. But most of the topics that they're kind of talking about, I think more often, you know, are pretty timeless and they fit, you know, pretty well. You know, I'm not going to be watching this show, and I'm not going to go watch Fuller House, but I do think Full House, you know, for the most part, stands up. If I was, like, watching a kid and the kid wanted to watch it, I would totally sit there and I'd enjoy it with them. You know, I I will say I legitimately enjoyed the episodes I watched, not enough to want to force myself to watch (laughs) eight seasons of it, but, you know, I, I thought... It was uh it was totally solid for a show. Like surprisingly solid because I thought it was going to I was going to watch it and be like this is cheesy as fuck. Like this is going to be, you know, not all that good, but no. It was it was quite good. Um I did have one issue with the show. We know that Uncle Jesse is the brother of the wife that passed away. He's right. Greek. Ketsopoulos. Mm-hmm. Very dark-haired Greek. How right. did brunette, darkish brunette hair Danny Tanner with A black hair, dark hair, Greek woman have three blonde kids. I don't get that. (laughs) How the fuck did that happen, John? I don't know. Genetics is weird, man.
0: (laughs) Okay. Genetics is weird like that.
1: Recessive genes, man. I just don't fucking get them. I know you put the big B with the big B and the little B and, you know, that little chart. That's all I remember from from genetics.
0: Both my wife and I are left-handed, and so we were fully anticipating left-handed children. Nope both of our kids right-handed
1: yeah oh i know you both wanted left-handed not even anticipated but like you guys you guys you guys are proud of your left-handedness we demanded it (laughs) yeah exactly you strapped the right hand to their fucking back and said you write neat with your left hand damn it child (laughs) uh yeah so anyway that's my thoughts i i definitely enjoyed it i thought it pretty much stood up i'm not gonna watch it again but i i was quite pleased so how about you
0: uh, I so I watched I actually watched the first couple episodes mm-hmm. the last couple episodes and like one or two episodes in between oh well I, I didn't really have that same reaction uh, to me I was actually pretty bored. oh <laughs> okay I remember watching the shit out of this show mm-hmm. if it would have been bingeable back then I probably would have binge watched all eight seasons when I was a kid or mm-hmm. maybe when I was a teenager. I, I don't know I had a hard time with it I had a hard time going back most of the jokes didn't land for me it seemed a little mm-hmm. cheesy i didn't mind the 90-ness of it mm-hmm. i just kind of maybe you know what maybe i cuz i watched i watched it i all you know in one evening mm-hmm. all the episodes maybe they just caught me on a bad evening yeah, but maybe i don't know
1: yeah did you happen to watch it with uh, your wife or your kids at all nope it was just okay, me just you maybe i mean maybe if they were around you laughing or something maybe that would have helped but maybe not
0: that is totally also uh, very possible yeah
1: I will say I watched it with my wife who actually chuckled uh, a good bit and was en- enjoying the show. I know a surprise she hates everything and so I think maybe that helped my attitude towards it because she was like oh this is not bad And I'm just like oh it must not be that bad if she does if she likes it
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually I I would like to maybe go watch this show with my daughter as I th- I, th- I think she might Find this show funny? I'm not sure my son would, but I think my daughter might. Yeah, very possible. Uh, You know, eh. All right, eh.
1: Is my review. Differing opinions, you know. Uh, If you guys out there want to try it, I say try it with somebody who uh, has a better chance of liking it. Then maybe they will uh, tilt you towards enjoying it. Or if you don't want to, just say fuck it, don't do it. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, slightly different thoughts. But that was our review (laughs) of Full House.
0: This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. Rice Aroni, all in one package. Rice Vermicelli, and this fabulous flavor package. Rice Aroni, the flavor. Brown the rice and vermicelli. Add hot water and saute. One pan, no boiling, cooking ease, a flavor that is sure to please. In minutes, a flavorful change from potatoes. Rice aroni, the San Francisco treat. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're going to be recasting Mrs. Doubtfire.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, dude looks like a lady. Uh,
0: so, it's doing several characters. Uh, we're going to do, obviously, Mrs. Doubtfire slash Daniel. We're going to do Miranda, the, the three kids, Lydia, Chris, and Natty. Uh, we're also going to do Mrs. Selner, Stu, and for fun, we're going to do Uncle Frank.
1: That's that's That one is a tough one
0: to recast
1: because... Just, yes it was. <laughs>
0: it was probably the toughest one. Yeah.
1: Cuz you can there's nobody like Harvey Firestein, man.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, part of me was like should, should I just cast Harvey Firestein again? <laughs> but he's like 70. He's still alive. guess <laughs> eh, you can change you it do. to,
1: you know, great uncle.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh so, uh we'll uh, you know as, as uh, we typically do, we'll kind of work backwards from from the list I just gave. So we're going to start with Uncle Frank. We'll start with the tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of. I think I'm hit or miss with my casting. Okay. Uh, some of them I think will work really well. Some of them i little iffy. Uh, I'll start with Uncle Frank. God, I had a hard time with this. Mm-hmm. I had a really hard time with this. Some of this stuff, I mean, you'll kind of see where I'm going with, with my casting yeah. when you start to see some of the people I've, I've chosen yeah. for of certain course. roles. Of course, of course. I
1: mean, Uncle Frank is brother of Daniel Hillard, so you, know, you get an idea right. if you're going specific directions.
0: So I was like, okay, it's kind of a, I wouldn't say iconic, but it's kind of an iconic gay part. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I started going for first was, all right, you know who were some some gay actors who I think could fill hmm. the same type of role that Harvey Firestein did. I had a hard time, so I actually didn't cast. I don't think he's gay, but it doesn't matter if he is or he isn't. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, 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 <laughs> Sorry. it's Sorry. not. That was, that was a Seinfeld reference, John. Don't worry about it. Okay, <laughs> are you saying I'm going to have to tune into Cartwright to find? out?
1: I think so. You should tune into Cartwright uh, to find out which. I don't even remember what episode that will be, but it'll be down the line that we'll talk about that. Okay, but it's about being uh, gay. Uh, you know, it's yeah. not that there's anything okay. wrong with that.
0: <laughs> uh So it, it's gonna, I, it's gonna seem out of left field, but he's played kooky characters before, and so I thought eh, maybe this will work. I actually went with Benicio del Toro. Wow, very
1: kooky, and isn't Benicio like sixty-five years old? But I mean, I guess you makeup department. I'll give it on that. Yeah, uh, he's definitely played kooky. I mean, he played the collector. The collector was a little weird and kooky. <laughs> yeah, In guardians. Yeah, we need we need like a, a just a, a side a side movie of uh, the collector teaming up with what was it, the grandmaster or whatever from uh, Thor Ragnarok of Jeff Goldblum's character, right. and just th- them just going on an adventure or or just them fucking talking. <laughs> just, <laughs> just 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 because they are that. they're
0: brothers, right? In the Marvel universe, oh, I think, they're actually I th- brothers. I think
1: so. Yeah, or they're all part of like that same group.
0: Yeah, yeah, they are. In the comic books, they're brothers. Okay, very, very. Like I could see that. The Grandmaster and the Collector are brothers. Okay, um, I'm, I'm sure Joseph will correct me on that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, all right. So who did you go as for Uncle Frank? So I wanted, I really tried to, to pitch in with
1: somebody who I thought could kind of be kooky. Uh, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, have have to have some comedic value. At first, I was like, do I want to go with somebody who has a super unique voice like Harvey Fierstein has? And then I was like, that's just too damn hard. I can't get that. You cannot replicate his voice. Uh, So I kind of went with someone who I thought would be a good brother. Because when I cast this, I cast my Daniel Hillard first. I was like, all right, I'm going to cast him first. Same. And then I have to figure out everyone around that to mouse too. so i was like okay can this person play the older brother of the person i cast for daniel hillard and that was a check on who i got and could he be kind of flamboyant and just very kooky and i was like yes check on this i went with steve zahn as my uncle frank
0: oh totally recognize him mm-hmm. totally recognize him yeah
1: funny guy i you know i mean yeah and I, he would i think he works particularly well as a brother of of uh, the guy who I have for my Daniel Hillard. you know, he can definitely be flamboyant and kind of over the top, you know, with that kind of stuff. So I think I think it would work. Right.
0: Okay. All right. So now we're gonna move on to Stu, mm-hmm. who was played by Pierce Brosnan, the the guy trying to move in on Miranda, yep. rich, good looking. Yep. So I went with somebody who was rich and good looking. You don't get much more good looking than John Hamm. I was
1: about I was about to like John. Did you cast me in a movie? Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> so- Honored. Uh no, John Ham is a great cast. Fuck. And I kinda wanna steal that. You know what I will just say I'm just gonna change mine and say, yeah, I chose John Ham too. Uh <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's yours is a very, very good casting. I picked I wanted someone who could maybe be yeah, fuck, John Ham's the better casting. You win. <laughs> I wanted cause that is a perfect, you know, one to one almost really. Right. For that, I, I went with someone who would maybe play up the very manly aspects, aspects which obviously John Ham would too, as well. Uh, which, funny enough, these two acted together in a movie called Baby Driver, which is a very good film. I went uh, with a guy who who's definitely very masculine, and he's not Bond, but he's almost the American Bond in a just much more harsh way because he's a fucking Punisher, man. I went with John Bergthold. Uh, I, I thought he okay. could be different. Now, John Ham does a lot of comedy. As well, right? And he's a better comedic actor than John Berthold, and he's better looking than John Berthold. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. You know what? Either could work, but yours is better.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I just got hammed, man. The second the second you dropped it, <laughs>
0: I'm glad I won on a tertiary character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. Not even a secondary. No, character. yeah, he's the tertiary yeah, character. afterthought. Uh, all right, all right. So then we have uh, Mrs. Selner. Mm-hmm. who is the the lady from the court who has to come in and check on you know Daniel and Yeah not not a huge part but I do think she's quite humorous in the film. She's very memorable in the yes. film. So, oh, man, I actually kind of had a little bit of a hard time with this one. Uh, looking around a lot of people, I decided to go with a uh, tried-and-true uh, comedic actress. God, I have not seen her in actually much lately, so I don't actually know what's going on with her. I didn't look to see what she'd done recently. But, you know, she's about the right age now for that. Mm-hmm. Sure as shit she was funny in the 80s because that's what I remember her most from. I went with the actress Jane Curtin. Ah, I like that. I actually I saw Jane Curtin, and I thought... She
1: might be uh, a good choice for this character as well. Uh, I didn't go with her, okay. but I like that as well. She kind of, I, of the different lists of people that I was going through, she was on there, and I almost, I almost like, I almost added her to my short list. But yeah, okay, Jane Curtin is fantastic, fantastic comedic actress. I think she could do a great job,
0: even though it's not her line, and it's it's horribly sexist now. When I was a kid, listening to Dan Aykroyd go, "Jane, you ignorant slut," yeah. <laughs> on Saturday Night Live it just made me laugh laugh. (laughs) but she was also great on Third Rock from the Sun yes she was, she was very good in that which I I think is a sitcom that you know at the time I kind of thought was dumb but when I watched it in syndication I kind of was like oh that really isn't that bad, it's a pretty good show
1: yeah, yeah. I mean she was also she was in uh, the movie Coneheads as well uh, yep. she's funny in well, that.
0: Well, she she did the Coneheads bit with Dan Aykroyd yes. on, on Saturday Night Live yeah. as well. So exactly, it seemed like a no brainer. Actually, there was another actress who also did it with Dan Aykroyd. I think at first, and then mm. it became Jane Curtin. Gotcha. When maybe the other actress left, but I I think when I think the Coneheads, I, with the mom, I always think Jane Curtin. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah,
1: no, that's a great call. I like that as well. This character you can go a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I as long as you pretty much have a someone who can do funny, and I think I like an older. Actress as well, I think. I think uh, that just fits in. So part of me thought, well, maybe Sally Field would be funny for this role, just to kind of bring back for that. But not really necessary. But it could be funny. Okay. I wanted, I actually thought for a second, you know, someone uh, like Felicia Rashard, uh, Rashad from uh, oh. the Cosby show, you know, she's not yeah. doing anything now. They're not going to be doing a Cosby reboot anytime soon, uh, <laughs> but she is a fantastic <laughs> actress. So I thought maybe her, but I ended up going with uh, a different actress. I kind of went through a list of like, who are these actresses? you You know their face, but you don't know their name. Uh, you know that kind of like right. who are these background character actors and that's kind of I'm trying like this is the list I'm trying to look at now to like cast some people that you know you may not think of but could be like oh they're, they're great actors or they're funny or whatever. Uh, so I right. went with an actress who you know very similar you have seen her before but you probably don't know her name. Uh, she is funny in pretty much everything I've seen her that she's done but she's all small parts uh, and this is a small part and I think she would be funny in it. Uh, her name is Amy Hill. If you just saw her face, I think you would recognize her. Um, she was in Spider-Man: Homecoming as recently, you know, that was one of her more recent roles. But she was in Fifty First Dates. I remember yes. her from uh, honestly an episode of Seinfeld. She was the uh, Korean lady that Frank Costanza loved, uh, and it was like his mistress in in Korea. Or maybe it was Vietnam. I can't remember. It might have been Vietnam. But uh, anyway, she's a funny actress. She's a good character actress. And so I thought this could be a good part that, that she could take.
0: Yep. I totally recognized her as soon as her picture popped up. Exactly.
1: And she is just one of those people. <laughs> I've seen her in a million things. Yes. Yeah. That's that's how it is. And that's that's probably going to be, I'm going to try and uh, and cast some more of those like, right. who the hell is this name? And then you see like, oh, that person.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. And so we're going to uh, uh, go into the the three children. We'll start with the youngest, Natty. Natty was the one I had the hardest time casting. Okay. And so I ended up going with a young actress who and the problem is is the very first person I cast. I cast her cuz she looks really young, mm-hmm. and then I realized she's like 3 years older than the guy the boy I cast as the yep. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like I, I I can't use her. I can't use I got to use someone mm-hmm. else. So um, I uh, went with a actress who was in the the Daddy's Home franchise, the Will Ferrell, mm. Mark Wahlberg series. Mm. Her name is Scarlett Estevez.
1: Yeah, she's a cute, cute kid. Maybe she is as cute as Mara Wilson. I don't know. Is anyone as cute as Mara Wilson? I
0: don't know. I don't know. It's going to come down to the delivery. Yeah, I think more than than the actual like cute face factor.
1: Absolutely, F- very true. And it really was all about the delivery. Uh, yeah, she's a cute kid. I approve, John. All right, I I went for cute actress, uh, and who honestly I thought had some really cute delivery uh, in the movie that I recently saw from her, which is actually now the highest grossing film of all time, uh, which is Avengers Endgame. I went with the actress who played Tony Stark's little girl, who was adorable and and was did have some good delivery. Her name is Lexi Rabe, and she played uh, the little little young Stark daughter.
0: That's a solid pick. She was cool. adorable in that movie. I mean, God damn it, I love you. Three thousand made me yeah. cry. <laughs> Fuck like yeah, did little girl. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm secure enough in my masculinity to admit this. When we finished going, I went to the movie first uh, with my wife, and at the end of the movie, uh, we were both talking to someone, and someone goes, "Did it make you cry?" And my always like, "No," and I'm like, "Like a little bitch." Yeah. <laughs> like uh, she's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Oh, I was bawling." Yeah. Absolutely,
1: and, yeah, that scene particularly.
0: All, uh, all that stuff. I mean, the the freaking scene with uh, her and Happy. Yeah. Talking about cheeseburgers or hamburgers or whatever. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. We got we got to move Sounds on, good. or <laughs> we're gonna get sucked into this. Yeah,
1: I think I think she has she has the potential uh, to have like that good delivery. I, we've seen it before, so I think she could do it again.
0: Uh, all right, so uh, let's move on to Chris uh, again. I just picked with somebody who looked like they could fit the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy, the guy I picked. Has been doing a TV series recently called One Day at a Time, which sounds like a soap, but I think it's a it's a Netflix TV series. And he doesn't have too many credits because he's still a pretty young guy, but he's got some acting chops. If he's you know he's he's been doing a TV series for a couple of years. Uh, his name is Marcel Ruiz. Uh, yeah, I mean we're gonna. I, I
1: think I used my biggest name on my Natalie uh, for these kids, and so I'm just gonna <laughs> you know I think maybe let's just plod right. through them quick because I'm gonna just be like yep. Good casting, John. He looks like a kid. Yep. And you know, if he has the look that fits in the family that you're wanting, perfect. He looks fantastic. Love it. I'm just going to move quick cuz in my casting, I didn't I didn't really honestly, my Lexi, my my Natalie, I used up like, oh, you're a good casting for that. The rest are just kids in the age range that I want. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, and so I went with a guy who is in, uh, it's an Amazon Prime show, which is actually quite good. I watched the first season and a half, but then I kind of got distracted by other shows, um, which it has mm-hmm. Jeffrey Tambor in it, and he's fantastic. You know, it's it's actually about taking the leap to being transgender the show is called transparent uh and so that i'm not trying to typecast the kid he just was in the right age range from what i wanted uh but he plays right. a kid in that show and uh his name is zachary arthur and so he's like i think 12 or 13 now so he's right at, at what i was wanting for chris so yeah he looks like a kid cute kid all right <laughs> let's move on to the other the last all right. cute kid
0: <laughs> all right so uh and then we have lydia the older one this one uh not necessarily like a big name per se, but this was one that I was more confident in because i've I've actually seen her work. She's actually best known to. Uh, younger people as being in uh Nickelodeon show Henry Danger um and a few other things she was kind of like a Nick kid kind of mm-hmm. like you know have like the Disney kids yep however that's, that is not what I know her from because I don't end up watching a lot of those Nickelodeon shows uh she was uh recently in the uh, Netflix series Mr Iglesias which is uh Gabriel Iglesias's uh sitcom oh that he has on Netflix
1: I didn't know he had one
0: yeah is that um, any good I'll tell you this so I binge watched it while I was in Germany uh-huh Actually, I watched the entire series in one night. (laughs) Okay. It was so hot in the hotel and we had no AC that I couldn't sleep, so I just watched the whole damn thing. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. It is really funny. Mm -hmm. Some of it is way too cheesy. Okay. Some of the jokes were a little too broad and a little too silly. And some of, the, some of the acting for some of the kids was a little too over the top for me. Mm-hmm. I hope they continue with a new season and maybe dial some of that in a little bit. I found the adults to be a lot more funny than the kids. But even then, some of the humor was a little over the top. However, I mean, I binge watched the entire thing. So it's not like it sucked so much that I stopped. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. That my like, I just found myself every so often being like, oh, I wish they hadn't done that joke. Gotcha. But I did actually enjoy the series. So, oh, anyway, I should probably tell you who I chose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, her, what's her name, John? So uh, I chose the uh, the kind of the main student in that show uh, who plays the uh, character named Marisol, and her name is Cree, and I'm gonna butcher her last name Sicchino, C-I-C-C-H-I-N-O.
1: She's cute. Does looks like a Nickelodeon kid. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: she's she's actually really pretty sassy in the sitcom, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of Lydia, Okay. And I, th- I think could really work. Cool. Uh, could work well, especially with with who I you know picked for Daniel. And all mm-hmm. that, so. That looks like that'll work, John. All right. And who'd you go with?
1: And my that
0: looks like that'll work
1: uh, kid actor uh, was in a show called Better Things, um, which I had not seen. Actually, I had honestly not seen anything that this person was in. Uh, so I really have no <laughs> frame of reference <laughs> other than I was looking up kid actresses and she looked like she could be, uh, you know, sassy. If she needed to. She looked like she, you know, could do it. And uh, her name is Hannah Alligood. And that's it. She was she was a actress of what I was looking for at the age range uh, and everything who looked like who could be the kid of of Miranda of my Miranda and Daniel.
0: Okay, I've definitely seen her picture around. Mm, so okay, she's got she uh, maybe I've seen ads for things that she's been in. Mm-hmm. I definitely I remember seeing her face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, apparently
1: a small part in the Allegiant movie, but doesn't look like that was all that big. Uh, it looks like yeah, right. the show big, Better Things is, is what she's. Mostly known for, but uh, maybe yeah, that's I don't know. what
0: I saw it in was ads for that show. Could be, could be. All right, so now we're on to Miranda. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a little bit of a difficult time with this one, but uh, ultimately I'm I'm satisfied. So uh, the woman I picked to be Miranda is best known for being on the series Orange Is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays kind of a, I mean, she's a little sassy and a little funny, but she's also kind of a hard ass in Orange Is the New Black. Uh, she plays the character of uh, Maria, Maria Ruiz, in that show, and her name is Jessica Pimentel.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she she is definitely a badass in uh, Orange Is the New Black, which is a show that I absolutely stopped watching because it it stopped being good in <laughs> right. my opinion. But yeah, she was good. I liked her as a character, uh, or I liked <laughs> her as an actress. I mean, so I'm down with that. And she was good. I, I, I like to see her in more things, so I think that's cool. Okay. Cool. Nice. Good call. Um, I went with uh, maybe a bigger name actress, but she was still she's still good. I, I wanted to find somebody who could do comedy, but also kind of has to be has to be like the straight laced person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this person has been in comedies like Bridesmaids and spy uh, but she's always kind of being somewhat of the straightish part Uh, but she's also she was definitely a straight kind of part not in a comedy but in the movie in the uh the more recent x-men series movies i went with rose Byrne as my miranda
0: oh yes Yes, I reckon I've seen her in several movies
1: I see her I I even kind of get a little Sally field vibe from her I don't know why
0: oh really it's funny because ever every time I've seen pictures of her uh-huh. and actually she makes me think of Selma Hayek like a young oh, Selma yeah. Hayek
1: no I, she has a very similar face structure to Selma Hayek absolutely I agree with yeah.
0: that she was in uh was it first first class she is, first... is more
1: more McTaggart in uh, the X-Men series in, in right. multiple of those yeah
0: I did enjoy her in first class yeah yeah, I enjoyed her character. I thought it was I thought it was nicely done, even though largely that movie fell flat for me. I I did enjoy her part. Yeah,
1: they didn't go far with her character of uh, right. Maura McTaggart in general, but, you know, who does a lot more stuff in the actual comic books, obviously, later. But, yeah, no, I think she's a good actress and I think she could do uh, she could do exactly what I what I need for for my Miranda. This is the big one. This
0: is going to be the hard one to place never an easy task to recast Robin Williams
1: no and we've done it once uh when we did Batty in Fern Gully right uh, but that one honestly is a, I'd feel maybe a little bit easier because it's, it's just a voice right and you got to find someone with a good voice this one you know is really really just taking over a an iconic role of Robin Williams is and it's gonna be tough and so like I don't know. You could go. You could take this and go a totally different route and be like, you know what? I'm not going to try and replicate Robin Williams. There's actually you can't replicate Robin Williams. That's just dumb right. to try it. But you know, you can find other comedic actors who do their own thing, and I think that makes sense.
0: So I did go with a comedic actor um, who also does stand up. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to lean into somebody who I know who could do some voices, mm-hmm. so he could do that part of it. Not necessarily known for for doing improv, but you know what? No one's going to improv like Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. So that part of it's not going to bother me too much. Might be a bit of an unexpected pick. Damn it, this guy makes me laugh my ass off. So I think he could work well. And it is no surprise that I think he could work well with my Lydia because he already works with my Lydia. I went with Gabriel Iglesias.
1: Gotcha. (laughs) You know what is funny? I mean, one, I love Gabriel Iglesias. Iglesias. He's... Awesome. He is very funny. His stand-up is great and he does do different voices. I just I do find this funny. This is our second time recasting Robin Williams. I used Gabriel Iglesias as my baddie in Ferngully. Ah. You're using Gabriel <laughs> Iglesias as Jerusalem. <laughs> so we obviously think he, he can do something about taking up the mantle for Robin Williams, you know, if you had to. Right. Like only in in certain roles. Interesting. Which is I mean, which is a, a huge testament to how funny that guy is.
0: And uh, I mean, he's done a little bit of acting. You know, he was in he was in the Magic Mike movies, and
1: Ooh, I'd and, love to but, see him on stage. I wonder if he was dancing. <laughs> did they? Did they? Like, he played the DJ. Okay. <laughs> I'd you know what? I'd love to see him out on stage. That would be funny too.
0: He talks about it in one of his stand. I've watched pretty much all of his stand up specials because yeah. he makes me laugh ever. But he's done a ton of voiceover work lately. I mean, he's been in a bunch yeah. of uh, uh, cartoons. But I'd like to see him in a. Not necessarily more serious role, but I like seeing more live action, more live action fluffy. That's yeah. what I want. There you go. I want more fluffy.
1: Uh, I'm very down with that casting. Okay, cool. I don't know if you're going to be down with mine. Uh, so yeah, like similar to you, I needed to start off with who is going to be my Doubtfire and then I'm going to, you know, or who's going to be my Daniel and then work around from that. Um, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to do the Doubtfire route. Uh, this, ca- this actor isn't known for doing a lot of voices, but... And he's not—he's not a stand-up comedian either. He is a comedic actor, uh, but he definitely does a good bit of improv on the show that that he has. They—I know they do a lot of improv because the whole cast does, and it's—it's it's fucking hilarious. Now, granted, their show is very much pointed towards adult humor, not kid humor. So I'm curious if his comedy can translate. You know, if he can not always make dick and fart and other jokes like that, or not. You know, <laughs> whatever. You know, or th- that kind of humor. But he works fantastically when he improvs with the other people on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know, he's he's been given a couple more of his own things recently, and I think he's funny as shit. And I think he could do his own spin on it. I went with Charlie Day as my oh. uh, Daniel Hillard slash Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: That's, it's, it's hard for me to make any kind of call. I don't watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who swear by that. I mean, show. yeah, I, I love that show uh i just ha- i haven't seen enough of his stuff to really make a, a good enough call i know he's a funny guy mm-hmm. so uh i can't really say one way or the other
1: okay all right I, well i'll, to I'll me, take it <laughs> to me
0: i'd have i'd have to see it to believe it
1: yeah okay i mean i believe it i believe in charlie day that's fine
0: and that's what's important <laughs> okay it's important for you to have dreams adam
1: yes i do damn it <laughs> Charlie Day is the man of my dreams. That's what I want to say, okay.
0: <laughs> is
1: the man of your dreams John ham? He actually he's, he might actually be the man of my dreams I, you know too. what <laughs>
0: who knows? Yeah, I mean John Ham's a good looking dude. oh yeah if he if he showed up in front of me and professed his love I, I it's hard to say it's hard to say what i what would happen,
1: yeah, yeah, I don't know if I'd turn him down. <laughs> I would do anything. I would do anything, and I would do that for him. How about that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. We're going to end on that. That was our casting of a Mrs. Doubtfire reboot. Please join us next time for
1: another album review episode. Adam and John dive into 90s alternative
0: with the Better Than Ezra album Deluxe. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at @blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.